Once again, Merry Christmas. It really is a joy to be worshiping with you this morning as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And as we continue celebrating, as we always do, we're going to turn to God's Word to encourage our hearts. This morning we're going to be studying Psalm 72. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there now. It's on page 485 of the Bibles that we've provided. If you don't have a Bible, we'd be glad for you to take that one home with you. Now, for the last several weeks, we have uh, been studying the Psalms as a way to understand the promises of God, to, uh, as a way to understand the longing of God's people, and how those things are fulfilled in Jesus. And today is no different. Psalm 72 is a prayer that God gave to his people to pray about their king. Psalm 72 is a psalm about the king, and it was written in the time of David and of Solomon, some of the earliest kings that God ordained to rule in Israel. But as you'll see, in the prayers uttered this morning, we're going to see that no human king could ever live up to the prayers uttered in these verses. In fact, we know that every human king has fallen short of the lines of Psalm 72. But despite these shortcomings, in this psalm you will hear a promise. In fact, I think it's fair to say that in Psalm 72 we hear a Christmas promise. See, the passage today isn't just a prayer for an earthly king. It's a promise for a heavenly king who will fulfill the hope of God's people once and for all. This psalm, which was written for a king in ancient Israel, is a Christmas promise because Jesus is the king that God promised to send. Think back to the passage from Luke that we read earlier. I'll read it again to you. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is the king that God promised to send. He is the fulfillment of what God's people had been waiting for. Why was it, I wonder, that the people of Israel had been waiting so long for a king? Why were they putting all of their hope in that? I want to give you a little bit of background before we get into the psalm. You see, ever since the kings were ordained to rule over Israel, God had used the king as the means by which he blessed the people of Israel. So if the king did what was right in the sight of the Lord, he led the people in holiness and worshipped God, then the people of God received the blessings of God. But if the king did what was right in his own eyes, turned away from the Lord, led the people astray and worshipped idols, then the people received the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the hope of God's people to receive God's blessing rested in the hope of their king. In fact, if you look at just verse 1 of the, of the psalm we're going to read today, we'll read the whole thing in a minute, but We see this connection telegraphed in verse 1. It says, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. 
Notice that the relationship between the king and God there. The prayer is that the king would receive from God the righteousness of God and the justice of God. Notice that the king is the essential link that brings God's blessings to his people. The king is the means that God uses to bless his people. And so after being let down time and time again by their earthly kings, the people of Israel were looking forward to a time when a king would fulfill all of the promises, all of the promises that God, to made, that God had made to them. So when we read Psalm 72 today, it's important to realize that the prayers of God's people for their king are not just a prayer for their earthly king, but a promise about a coming king. The things that God wrote down for the people to pray about their imperfect kings, he would make come true in the perfect king, Jesus. So what we're going to do today is actually relatively simple. We're going to read through Psalm 72 and identify the promises that are made about the coming king. We're going to see how those are good news for us, how those are still relevant for us. We're going to rejoice in the coming of Jesus as the king. Now, before we can turn there, I need to say just one more thing. You know, we live in a time in history where Jesus has come, but we're waiting for him to come again. And there is a tension that we're going to feel today where we know that the promises of God are true about his king, where we taste them, but we know that we are waiting to enjoy them more fully when Jesus comes again. And so our goal today is to see how the promises that are being made about Christ the King are eternally true so that we can live in light of that eternity now. So with that in mind, if you would please stand as I read from God's word for us. This is Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. 
and may people blossom in the cities like grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This is God's word. You may be seated. So our goal today is to understand how the promises made about the king are blessings for us. And we're going to do that in two big categories. The first is we're going to look at the promises that are made about Jesus the king. There we're going to unpack five different things that Christ provides for us when he is our king. Those are safety, prosperity, justice, mercy, and redemption. If you are a note taker, don't worry, we'll come back to all of those, but I'll give them to you again. There's safety, prosperity, justice, mercy, and redemption. Once we cover the benefits of being in Christ's kingdom, we're going to talk about some of the truths about Christ's kingdom, some of the characteristics of Christ's kingdom that make uh, all of the promises better news for us. There we're going to talk about the righteous authority of the king, the king's universal dominion, and his everlasting rule. But first, we're going to consider the benefits of having Christ as our king, and we're going to start with safety. So look at verse 4 in the psalm we just read. It says, May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Then in verse 7 it says, In his days may the righteous flourish, and peace abound, till the moon be no more. You know, one of the main functions of any king is to provide protection, to provide safety from an external threat. And Jesus is no different. But unlike the Israelites... And unlike many people in the world today, most of us don't find ourselves under the thumb of an oppressive government, your politics notwithstanding. See, because on the surface, it might be hard to resonate with the promise that Christ will provide protection from external threat. But on closer look, I think we know exactly what it is to feel not at peace. I think we know exactly what it is to feel unsafe. See, at the heart of feeling unsafe is insecurity. It's uncertainty of what will happen next. It's not knowing what will happen next. At the heart of feeling unsafe is the realization that you cannot provide for your own safety, let alone the safety of those around you. That's particularly acute for those of us who have children. We get what it is to long for safety. And so I think the promise of the king as our protector, as one who provides safety, should resonate with us. It's the promise of no more uncertainty. You know, the promise of Jesus as king is really like Jesus saying, I am the warrior king, and I am coming to town, and if anybody wants to threaten you, they have to come through me first. In fact, I think I can do one better than that. You see, Jesus' dominion is so total that there's actually nobody left to threaten you in God's kingdom. It's not just that they have to come through Jesus to threaten you. It's that he's wiped out all adversaries. There's no threat. There's no threat anymore. All that's left is peace in the kingdom of God. 
Let me maybe say it one more way to help you connect with this promise before we move on. The promise of Jesus as protector is like saying to a child, don't worry, daddy's here. The promise of Jesus as king is that he will protect you. He will ensure your peace. The next promise of the king is prosperity. Look at verse 3. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. The prayer is that the king would be our refreshment and our prosperity. Now, if your situation in life is a comfortable one, you may not think that this promise is for you. You may not think that this promise should resonate in your soul as something you long for. But people who are hungry all the time, people who are refugees, people who live in desolate places, people who live in in poverty, they hear the promise of the king's prosperity and they rejoice. But I don't think that means that this promise of prosperity isn't also good news for those of us who don't feel like we're living in poverty right now. You see, I think for those of us who live comfortably, prosperity, and by that I mean sort of our material wealth or our success, I think that's kind of a careful what you wish for situation. I think our prosperity really is a burden for most of us. We have a warped view of it. We think our prosperity depends on our own strength, as if God won't give us what we need, and that having more than what we need will actually lead to happiness. Friends, that is a tiring way to live. It's so tiring because it means you can never stop. It means you can never rest. It means that the burden of your prosperity depends on you, the anxiety that comes with that. The promise of Jesus as king is that your prosperity doesn't depend on you. Instead, your prosperity depends on a king. And if you trust him, he will give you exactly what you need, not merely to survive, but to prosper. And that is good news. Whether today you are living in poverty or today you are living in prosperity. Now, there's one more thing that I want to say about prosperity before we move on. The fact that Jesus, the king, was born in a manger in a town that was too small to be named among the tribes of Judah to a woman who was nobody from nowhere with the lowliest shepherds looking on. That kind of radical humility means that our sense of prosperity is going to be turned upside down. For if the king of the universe comes in a manger, what need have we of anything more? 
The promise of the king is, I will give you exactly what you need to prosper. The third promise of the king this morning is justice. Look at verse 2. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. And oh, do we long for that. We want the poor and the oppressed to be vindicated by justice. We feel the need for justice, not just in our personal affronts, not in the things that have harmed us directly, though we feel those acutely. But we also see the oppression in the world. We see the violence. We see the hunger. We see the dying refugees who are trying to make it out of their country to a safer place, and we long for the justice of the king. The promise of the coming king is the end to all injustice. Praise be to God. Now, the final two promises that we're going to talk about today for Jesus as our King, they come together in mercy and redemption. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor, and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Start out by looking at the condition of the people in those verses. I think we're supposed to see ourselves in that condition. We are poor and needy, and we feel alone. And we are weak, and we are in need of a Savior, and there is suffering, and there is oppression, and there is darkness, and there is violence. You see, the promise of the king is that he does not leave us in our poverty. He does not leave us in our neediness or our isolation or our darkness. He does not leave us in our suffering or our violence. No. The king hears the cries of his people and he answers them in mercy. What kind of a king is this? He is a protector. And he is full of justice. But he is not distant or removed. He hears the cries of his people and he answers them in mercy. It's so unlike earthly kings who see their people at best as collateral damage, who see their people as pawns to be manipulated, who see their people as unworthy of the presence of the king and whose value is only in the taxes that they pay or the work that they can provide to the benefit of the king. The eternal king preserves the humblest of his people. The king, the king, Jesus, counts the lives of his people as precious. The people cry out, and the king answers them in mercy. But if you look closely at verse 14, you see that it's more than just pity 
and mercy. It is redemption. Taken together, I think the condition of the people in these verses is that they were as good as dead. And since I think we're supposed to see ourselves in that, I'm just going to go ahead and say you and I were as good as dead. You were nothing. But God in his great mercy loved you. I'm trying to look at everybody in the eyes when I say that because I'm trying. It's easy because there's like only 30 of you out there. God in his great mercy loved you. Yes, I am talking to you. He purchased you. He redeemed you. See, the reason that the coming king is such good news for us is that the promise of the king is redemption for his people. You know, I think about a king redeeming his people. I think about Colossians chapter 1. Verse 13 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. You see, our king redeems us from the domain of darkness. He redeems us from the kingdom of sin and self. And he makes us his people. He makes us citizens of his kingdom. He makes us citizens of the kingdom of light, of the kingdom of his son, where we are forgiven our sins. Friends, in that kingdom, you get protection and prosperity and justice and mercy and redemption. Can you hear why the people of Israel would have been looking forward to a king? Can you hear why the angels, when they heard about the coming king, sang glory, glory, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Can you see the good news for us? That the promises made about the king are promises that we need. Promises that are fulfilled in Jesus. What do you get when Jesus is your king? You get protection and prosperity, and justice, and mercy, and redemption. Now, if you can imagine it, there actually is more good news for us to talk about today. We're going to transition to thinking about the characteristics of Christ's kingdom. What's true about the rule of Christ is that he rules with a righteous authority and a universal dominion and an everlasting rule. So let's turn our attention back to verse 1 for just a second. It says, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. The king operates on God's authority. This is a my house, my rules kind of situation. I'm the king of the universe. I created everything, so what I say goes. 
And there are a couple of reasons that that is really good news for us. The first is that it has to do with our identity. And the second reason it's good news is because it has to do with our purpose in life. You see, God's authority means things like sin and suffering. They don't get to claim you. They don't get to define you. God sets the terms of your existence. If you belong to him, if you have faith in Jesus, then the good news about submitting to a king's authority is that you do not have the authority to make the lies you tell about yourself true. Your identity, your identity is not the sin that plagues you. It is not the poverty in which you now live. It is not the pain that haunts you. When Christ is your king, then your identity is a child of God and you don't have the authority to change that. You see, the amazing paradox of Christian submission is that when you submit to a king, it actually frees you. It frees you from yourself. It frees you from the burden of your identity resting on your shoulders. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. The amazing thing about Jesus coming as a baby in a manger in a tribe of Judah that was too small to be named to a woman who was nobody from nowhere with shepherds looking on He came in the lowliest way possible. And that means the existing world order that tries to tell us what our identity is is turned on its head. Your identity isn't based on who your parents are. Your identity isn't based on how much money you make or how strong you are or your position in life. Your identity is based in the lowly king, Jesus came in a manger. You see, the good news that the promised king rules with authority means that we don't have to be subjected to the lies that try to define us. We are free. We are free to rest in the identity that is ours in Christ. Now, if God's authority is about defining your identity It's also about defining your purpose. So I'm going to be extremely reductionistic for just a minute and reduce all of the teaching of Jesus to four words. Please excuse me. It means Jesus taught to love God and to love people. Love God with everything you are, with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might. And love people like you love yourself. That's our purpose in life. It's pretty wonderful, actually, to have our purpose in life defined for us. I mean, we have to figure out a few details. I grant that. But we aren't, have, we aren't burdened with having to figure out the meaning of life, the big picture. You don't have to go somewhere to find yourself. Christ the King already found you. And he gives us a beautifully clear picture of how to live. Love God, love people. 
with something as important as the meaning of life and the purpose for your entire existence, it's wonderfully freeing not, have to, not to have to figure that out yourself. It's wonderfully freeing to submit to the authority of the king. Now, the final thing that God gives us in his authority are rules. They're rules, not just suggestions, but rules for the best way to live. He says, let me give you a set of instructions for things like parenting and marriage and worship. He says, do these things this way. Trust me. This is the best way to do it. And I think that's actually where God's authority tends to rub us the wrong way because we don't like being told what to do. And that is why the other characteristic that comes out in verse 1 is so important. Jesus fulfills the promise of being a righteous king without any evil, without any darkness. There is only good and see, that's, we're just not used to that. We're not used to righteous rules. We're used to being cynical because every human ruler always lets us down. And so the point is, you can trust the authoritative rule of Christ because he is righteous. It's one we can trust. It's one we can love. And in our submission to Christ's authority for our identity and our purpose and our way to live, in submission to that authority... We can rest. Now, the second truth about Christ's kingdom comes out in verse 8. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Christ's dominion is universal. There's no place that his kingdom doesn't reach. There's no mountain range in India. There's no river valley in China where God isn't king. See, that stands in stark contrast to every other ruler that has ever been. And it's exactly why we have confidence in the reach of the gospel. The promise that people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation will one day worship at Jesus' feet That's because his dominion is universal. It's from sea to sea. It's without end. And because his dominion is universal, all of the promises that have just been made about Christ's kingdom, they're everywhere. Geography doesn't have anything to do with God's rule. His promises are everywhere. His dominion... It's a dominion of souls. It's a spiritual, not a worldly empire. And so we go out in the world spreading the good news of the gospel because we believe that God is the king of all people. God's promises are everywhere. And they're forever. The last thing I'll mention from the psalm today is a common refrain in the Bible about the promises made of God's kingdom Oh, does it make us want to sing. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The Lord shall reign forever and ever.
and all the things that are promised of Jesus? When that baby was born, he ushered into history the dominion of God's eternal reign. And so we wait for him. We wait for him to come again, that we might know more fully his promises to us, that we might taste the eternity of safety, of prosperity, of justice and mercy and redemption. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, You are our king, and we are your people. Will you help us to see clearly the promises that are ours in Christ? Will you help us to love submitting to our righteous king? Father, will you give us the faith and endurance and hope as we wait for Christ the king to return? Give us a taste of that eternity now, Father, we pray. In your name, amen.